630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Yeah, I want to read this text from uh, Jody who says, in general, why in the world are teams not going for two every time they score? If you make the two-point convert 51% of the time, you will be points ahead. And that's assuming you are 100% on the kick, which isn't likely. I would think from three yards, you should be more like 70%. I find the current state of mostly kicking extra points completely illogical. Jody, I think you make a great point. I thought that the rule change last year would lead to more two-point converts than we have seen. The uh, Eskimos went for one last week and, and failed on it. Uh, and then they also had an, a kick blocked. So, but you're right. You would you would think from three yards that's a huge advantage for the offense. But it just shows you, coaches will always coach to be conservative, and it's still a pretty sure thing from the 32. Not quite as much. I mean, Saskatchewan did kick a, an extra point wide last week as well in the, the that wild game on Friday night. I know uh, Dave Campbell and I talked about that rule change when it came in a lot. And Dave, I. I I thought there'd be more coaches saying we're going to go for two almost all the time. Huffnagel, I think, did it the most last year. Yep, you're right. And, you know, I think it's uh, it's because, Reed, and I think the percentages kind of proved that out last year, that uh, there was more successful uh, point-after attempts than there were two-point converts. So, I mean, you, you're talking about leave uh, the potential of leaving points out in the field. And, it, you know, it's only, you know, two points you might leave out on the field, but uh, that could come back later in the game and really come back to haunt you. So I think coaches, unless they absolutely need that two-point convert, are going to kick the one because they like the percentages from the 32-yard line. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, a 32-yard convert straight away or a 32-yard field goal period is a pretty makeable kick. So uh, and, and that's almost a guaranteed point where a two-point convert is uh, a little bit more difficult to attain. Dave Campbell is in Winnipeg. Reed Wilkins in the 630 Chet studio, joined by, from Global Television, it's Kevin Carius. Kevin, how's it? You're here. I'm here. Dave's in Winnipeg. This is incredible. What a what a troika. <laughs> What's going on here? My goodness, I can't believe all the... It's like television royalty has entered the, the Chet studios. Oh, yeah, whatever, Dave. Did you get to go to the Great Cup, Kevin? I was at the Great Cup last year, yeah. We yeah. Had, actually did an interview with Dave. We ran an extensive interview I think that was the day before, right, Dave, that we did yep. uh, the interview, and we ran it uh, on our morning show. We ran it uh, a few other places. But, uh, yeah, I did an interview with Dave up in the press box. We sort of weaseled our way into the uh, suites area and did a, a lengthy interview with Dave. Now, for, for the game tomorrow, uh, I, I see some lineup changes, Dave, most of which you were pretty sure yesterday were going to happen. I, I think, yep. it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of them are, are backup guys or special teams guys. I'm curious, though, along the D-line, it looks like Jabari Hunt is going to jump right in and, and push uh, Eddie Steele into a backup role. What's going on there? Yeah, I, I'm not convinced that Steele's going to be the backup. I, I think that Steele's likely going to be the starter at that one D-tackle spot beside uh, Armando Sewell. But Jabari Hunt is in the in the lineup because 
they traded Cedric McKinley to the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, so they needed a backup uh, Dean Lyman, and he's the next guy up. And, you know, he's a big reason why the Eskimos were comfortable making the deal with the Riders to send McKinley uh, to, uh, to Saskatchewan. Uh, Jabari Hunt had a good training camp, uh, had a couple of tackles in the preseason, someone that can really plug the middle. And, uh, you know, when you're facing an Andrew Harris, who has been uh, an Eskimo killer over the last five years, you know, he's definitely someone that can plug the holes in the middle. So, uh, you know, so that's uh, that's a, a change. That I think the most significant change is uh, the kick returner because Joe McKnight is back on the practice roster, is on the practice roster after uh, a nightmare game. Uh, last uh, Friday against the Riders where he fumbled twice on kick returns, on punt returns, and they ended up in the end zone. So Kenzel Doe is going to get his opportunity to be the the punt and kick returner and had a pretty good preseason. And uh, in some ways I was a bit surprised that he wasn't the starting or wasn't the uh, number one returner out of camp. But, uh, you know, they they like what McKnight can do. And uh, I think that 85-yard touchdown uh, against the Riders in preseason was the reason why McKnight stayed because of the speed and, the ability that he has. So you have that change. You got Nate Ajay into the uh, into the lineup, who uh, will replace Anthony Barrett because he can play in, in three spots in the receiving core. So there's a possibility we might see him uh, take some reps. And then on the defense, uh, you know, the biggest loss is Alex Hoffman Ellis, who they just uh, got from the Hamilton Tiger Cats in a trade. Who had uh, two defensive tackles against the Riders and looked good. He is out. Uh, so that's a big change, and uh, there's you know other changes as well. Uh, Tyler Thornton's going to play uh, defensive back as uh, Gary Peters, uh, other rookie defensive back, hurt himself in practice. So Thornton may see some time in the defense, and he'll see some time on special teams. And uh, a newcomer named Donnie Bags out of Texas A&M is going to play uh, his first game after only two practices after uh, uh, you know after uh, signing with the, the team this week. So. Uh, yeah, really minor changes, more depth changes. The biggest one, though, is Kenzel Doe is going to be the primary returner for Joe, uh, in place of Joe McKnight. Hey, Dave, I wanted to ask you about Hoffman Ellis. They brought him in for depth reasons. Now with him being gone for three to four months, do you think right now they have enough depth at linebacker? Yeah, you know, they have bodies, but it's a quality. You know, that's I think that's the, the big question right now. Uh, and you got to remember, when they when they – when they traded for Alex Austin Ellis, they got rid of a, a linebacker by the name of Daryl McBride Jr., who was a, you know, on their practice roster, but someone that had a good preseason too. But when you look at their, you look at their lineup right now, it is really young. You know, J.C. Sherrod is really the the only veteran starter among that group. Deion Lacey's in his third year, but this is his first year as a full-time starter at Willbacker, and you got Kenny Ladler, who's at the nickel spot, and then in behind them, you got Blair Smith, who uh, can play some uh, middle linebacker and some at will backer and you know after that they're really really thin so you know the Hoffman Ellis injury was you know that 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 was a big blow because he was a veteran presence uh someone that could play special teams and someone that can go on that defense and be a calming influence and I thought when he played he definitely had a, a positive influence so there's depth Kevin but it's uh it's very very green all right. Well, it's going to be fun tomorrow. This is a, a pretty interesting matchup, especially given what Winnipeg did last week. Dave, uh, enjoy Winnipeg, buddy, and uh, have a good call tomorrow, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Dave Campbell, Morley Scott will have the call for you tomorrow, 5 o'clock pregame show, 6.30 for the uh, kickoff right here on 6.30 Chat. Kevin, again, thanks for coming in. Hey, this is great. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a habit of this. Yes, we are. I think uh, if we can, every Wednesday night. And That'd be great. If... Uh, 
something happens like during the course of the year there's an winter game or well there will be a few whatever an Eskimos <laughs> game if they play a rare Wednesday night game like today uh, then we'll figure something out but yeah Wednesday at 7 I'll zip over from the uh, studio we'll just finish the 6 o'clock news and I'll sit here with you till 8 o'clock well that's perfect I'm, I'm happy to have you and you have I and have uh, known each other a, uh, long a time, few yeah. years so uh, yeah this this is great to get to do this our companies by the way for people who don't know I don't know how interested they are but I'll just quickly mention it they don't they just want to listen but we're <laughs> global and Ched are now owned by a company called Chorus Entertainment. Uh, Ched has been owned by Chorus for a while. Uh, one day I was talking to the owner of Chorus and I was like, why don't we buy Global Television? <laughs> <laughs> why not? Across, the guy was the, like, across the land. I was like, thanks, Reed. We'll look into it. Yeah. And it eventually happened. Here's the, here's the thing for me, Kevin. The Eskimos have scored, uh, what is it? I wrote it down earlier today. Uh, 70, 73 yeah. points, not counting overtime. Yeah. I, I excluded the overtime okay. field goal. 73 points in regulation time. One in the two for... I mean, I mean, it's like... And even last year, a lot of weeks, it's like they refuse to start a game quickly on offense. Actually, Quinn Phillips just did a little piece on that that we ran on our 6 o'clock sports and uh, basically asked Mike Riley the same thing, why the slow starts. And he goes, well, it's... It's a combination of things, obviously, uh, turnovers. They turn the ball over. Mike Riley said one of the main reasons last week is that he threw that pick, and yep. the next thing you know, I mean, there's, well, it's right in the end zone, right off the hop, basically, right? So he doesn't throw that pick. Maybe they punch it in, and now we're not even talking about this. So uh, a, a couple quick two-and-outs, uh, even in the Ottawa game, that were really had a big factor in the early part of that game, I thought, in the Ottawa game. So uh, clean a few of those things up, and, and now we're not talking about that one point in two games. You're right. I guess my concern, and as I joke with the Eskimos, I, I always find a reason to put the worry pants on every week. <laughs> the, the formula for this team was, last year was, fine, push us. We're going to outlast you. We're going to be more patient. We're going to be there in the end. Okay, two games this year. Once, once it worked and once it didn't work. And I just feel, I, I know I'm probably being overly critical and over, overly picky, but you, you, you look at them and say, okay, I think they have the talent, especially on offense, to take charge against, say, the bottom third of the league. You know what? I still think the league's pretty competitive. So it'd be nice to, to race out to a 14-3 lead one week and be playing downhill instead of uphill. And then you look at it the same way. They had a two-touchdown lead. Well, right. Good point. Then, Good point. And then can't close it out. So, um, you know, I look at this team, and, you know, I was talking to Ed Hervey a little while ago, and he kind of used the formula of wanting to score one point per every minute of time of possession. So if you can have the ball 31, 32 minutes, I think he wants to score 32 points. So um, I, with that offense and how they are trying to kind of portray it and try to implement it, um, that, that time of possession, I'm not sure if they're going to win that every game because they're trying to hurry things up on offense and move the ball quicker than other teams would like. So um, you know, I, I think his goal is to get over 30 points a game. Well, I always look at it as if you get 28, you should have a good chance, a touchdown a quarter. Right, and I mean, maybe that doesn't sound like high-flying football, but I mean, you know, that's when you add up to twenty-eight by the end of the game, it, it's pretty good. I want to, I want to get back to the. We're going to take a break, but I want to okay. get back to the conservative coaching about going for two. Okay, and I think we can roll that into some of the things we continually see in the NHL as well. Kevin Carries is in studio. It's Inside Sports on Chet.
Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, one of the Nuges' new teammates signing his entry-level contract today, Jesse Pugliarve, three-year entry-level deal. Justin Schultz stays with the Pittsburgh Penguins, one year, $1.4 million. George McPhee is going to be the first general manager of the Las Vegas NHL team. It's believed they will be called the Knights. Nice little double meaning there. It was some of the funnest segments last year was when the team was rumored, Kevin. Kevin Carrius from Global in Studio, and people started texting in their suggestions, you know, the Las Vegas crafts. I thought the Las Vegas strippers was a good one with a double meaning. <laughs> Aces was the big one, right? Yeah. And I think the NHL really wanted to stay away from anything gambling. Yeah, I mean, even though, you know, there's... And I I, I had Brian Bless, Blessing on, who hosts the show down there, and he says, give me a break. I mean, there's gambling in Edmonton, there's yeah. gambling in Atlantic City, there's gambling in Florida... He goes, players have that temptation anywhere, but still, yeah, I don't think the NHL wanted slots or anything like that. <laughs> well, again, that's a good hockey yes. double, double, double meeting, yeah. too. Uh, inside Sports at 630, Chad, at 720. So we had a, a texter. Uh, who was it again? Was it Jeff? Jody. Sorry, it was Jody, who said, valid point. Why don't coaches go for two more often? And this is this is the thing. When you actually have that headset on, when you're actually in charge of the decision about points, I think it's hard to say, even with the convert moved back, it's 80 to 85%, depending on the year. It's hard to say 85% to get one versus even if it's 60 to get two. And I, I wish they would just go for it and try to, to, to pile it up. But this is what this is what we see. Coaches often defer or, or default, I guess, to the conservative position. And the situational position. True, that's, on a, that's a factor. Time of game, um, you know, what's what's been happening, momentum, weather, wind, etc. That's a huge, huge thing. I think you were saying earlier that uh, the Steelers do it a lot of the time, and, and I love that because I had uh, Big Ben and uh, Antonio <laughs> Brown in fantasy football, so I was just fine with, with that. But in the CFL, I think the other thing, too, is the with the Rouge being in play so often, that weighs on a coach's mind as well. So I think it's more situational, weather, and time of game uh, as to what their decision's going to be. Yeah, and when Moss went forth, they were up one, and he thought, okay, maybe this is a time to go up by three just mm-hmm. in case it gets defensive and there's no more scoring. But other than that, they were, they were, they were taking the single. But it's funny how it, how it evolved because even Chris Jones, who is a, a quote-unquote aggressive coach, he, he often just kicked the one last year. Um, and then I thought of the NHL last season. Okay, three on three overtime. Oh, it's nuts at first. Oh, the puck's all over the place. Oh, now it's at this end. What happened as the season went on, Kevin? Fewer chances at three on three overtime. Because the coaches figured things out for one, and they made sure that they would kind of wait to see what happened. And again, situational. Who do you got on the ice? Who is defending at what point? Where can you make the change? Can you do it on the fly? Is there going to be a face-off? Same thing in football. The coach has this on his mind with every particular play and has to implement what he feels will benefit his team at that point. So is there anything here, I'm going to throw this one at you, is there anything we can do? <laughs> and I, I mean, unless, okay, so hockey and football are the big ones in the city, but we got a lot of people who follow soccer and follow the NBA caught on this year. I think the Warriors rejuvenated a lot of NBA fans. Is there anything? Is there is there any rule change you can make that's coach proof? That that, that is it going to make a coach think, okay, fine, I can still break this down and turn an offensive rule into a way to defend. I don't think so anymore. <laughs> and that's in any sport. I really don't read. 
because of video, uh, because of the size of coaching staffs, um, their work ethic in every sport. I mean, you hear about guys putting in 18-hour days almost in every sport. It seems to be the norm. Yep. The only guy that doesn't do that is Bruce Arians out of Arizona. Uh, There's a great documentary on him on NFL um, Football Life recently, and he said, I can't believe guys do that all the time. Put in and work until 12, back at 6. He said, I, I've never figured that out. And he he um, uses his staff the other way, so they, they don't do it. But j- kind of getting off topic there, but no, just because of how good the coaches are, video, everything else. I, I think if any system is is put into place by a certain team, the other team's going to figure it out quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing would be the NFL has certainly made continued, continued efforts to increase scoring, increase yardage. And I, one of the ways they've done it is just by increasing the number of penalties that can be committed against the offense. And the CFL has adopted some of them. You hit a quarterback too high, too low, you get 50, it's 15 yards. And even some of the – there are penalties now, in more so in the NFL, where 15 years ago it would have been celebrated as a big hit. Now it's a headshot on a receiver. So well, an incomplete pass turns into 15 yards. And even coverage on receivers. So basically yep. the defensive backs have had their hands tied by different officiate, officiating, different rules, different calls. So, And, and I have no problem with that. You, the defensive backs probably don't like it. But, well, of course. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, the way that the defensive backs have to play right now, I mean, they're at the mercy of almost everything. They can't really do anything anymore. Um, so... Everyone wants to see more offense, see more excitement. Um, I think a lot of the games are fine the way they are too, though. Yeah, well, I think I mean the the like again the NFL I think just has made so many good decisions over the years, and they're they're so worried about that entertainment value and games coming down to the wire and and the other thing they hated the nine six games, the three field goals, and, and you know and that, and that's the thing now there's a whole generation I because you know I'm middle aged and you're around the same and I always feel like I'm the old guy but there is there is a whole generation of fans who are like what are you talking about and I'm like seriously go look at NFL box scores from the eighties oh seventeen ten like you said nine six oh twenty to three like. <laughs> And, that, that's and the what, Super Bowl was awful every year. Like right, you know, and that's. But the game has progressed, and that's just NFL. Anything, I mean, that's how it works in 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 all sports. The game just takes. There's ebbs and flows, and how certain rules are made, certain things are instituted, and that's just uh, one thing that we're talking about. Just out of many. Yeah. You know. Kevin Carius from Global Television in studio. He's going to be with us till eight o'clock tonight. We have, we have a lot to get to. We'll touch on uh, the anthem. We'll touch on those. Uh, the Portuguese goal call. I want to play that because I promised I was going to play it again last night and then I ran out of time. How, but how's your golf tournament go? It went very well. Thanks for coming. Thanks uh, for inviting. We did uh, about 88,000 for Easter Seals. Oh. So, uh, in the, um, that was last Wednesday at the Belvedere. We had, uh, you know, terrific sponsors, our presenting sponsors, uh, Prism Flow Products, been with us for a long, long time. We've got tons of other great sponsors, obviously, and uh, just remarkable how the golfers and the sponsors keep coming out year after year. And I can't say enough about the staff at Easter Seals and all our ambassadors. It's just a real privilege to be in, involved there since uh, since I re- basically came to Edmonton uh, 18 years ago. Yeah, you've been doing it a while. That, that's that's incredible. Uh, Belvedere is a great course. Awesome yeah. to get a chance to, to look at that. Man, some great hills on, on, on the fairways, so the elevation changes are pretty cool. And what you were, you were doing the 
I just sit on You're one driving. hole. Yeah, I sit on one hole. That way I can talk to all yeah. the people that come through and have a chit chat. And what what I like is that out of the you know there's 33 teams of five, so you got 165 golfers or so. I'm you know there's probably 120 total that are back every year. That's great. So you know they love the cause, they love the day, and and that's one of the things I'm proud of. No, did you did are you a good driver of no, the golf ball? No. I saw you hit two, and one was good, and one was my <laughs> that, quality. There you go. So <laughs> that's, that's that's how it is. Usually how it goes for you. Yeah, I wish I could be better. Just like how often year. do you play? Because I've been lamenting my yeah. golf game on air this summer. I get out once a week for sure. Well, that's if good. I can get twice a week, then then I. So you must be pretty good then. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty bad, Rito. I was out yesterday in the uh, uh, media pro-am for the Henry Martel, which is an amazing tournament. It's at Highlands. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guys that I were with, they were just shaking their head. They couldn't believe that this guy was going on the air later to talk about golf. Is any part of your game somewhat reliable? Zero. Really, eh? (laughs) 19th hole, maybe. Yeah. See, because I'm at the point where I'm I'm pretty bad off the tee. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it's going. It doesn't go far. My irons, here's the thing, I can at least step up to an iron shot and feel like it's probably 40 for 50% chance this is going to be pretty good, Mm -hmm. 30% chance it'll be a good miss, and then 30% it's going to be off. But off the tee, I'm like, there's a 1% chance this is going to be a good drive. (laughs) Well, you didn't use your driver much, did you? Because I remember you saying on that hole, uh, you don't hit Yeah, I usually tee off with my three-wood, because at least I can sort of control it. (laughs) But sometimes I pop it up and it goes 80 yards. Wow. Exactly. It's a tough game. And the ball's, as Kramer said, the ball's just sitting there, Jerry. <laughs> you got anything for Kevin? Text 630-630. We'll keep rolling. Inside Sports on Chad. J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30 Chad. So here, here's the thing, Kevin. Yep. When it comes when it comes to my golf game, I'm not, I don't think I'm being unrealistic. I don't I, I don't expect to become a scratch golfer or start parring 15 holes around. And I'm not even. My goal isn't to turn my sixes and fives into fours. It's to turn my sevens into sixes and fives. And you shave off a few that way. Avoid the disaster. If you can get away from putting up a big number. That's the key of everything, yeah. right? Because golf is not uh-huh. about. This is the thing that you have to tell yourself. Golf is not about making shots. It's about having good misses. I think. Well, it, what I think what hurts me and a lot of other golfers is if you have one bad shot, you have to find a way not to have two or three bad shots in a row. Right. So. And then that's the thing. I, 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 like, I think something, I mean, some people have told me, well, you're being unrealistic. I said, no, I don't think I am because I don't go out to golf and expect to hit 80 good shots or whatever. I expect to probably hit a clunky shot a hole. <laughs> well, <laughs> but again, but uh, uh, the other uh, thing, too, I mean, you have to work at it almost every day. And again, honest, you know? it's a recreational sport that is impossible to get good at recreationally. Yeah, you, I mean, just think about the guys that are even on the borderline. Just say the, the, on the McKenzie Tour. Yeah. Guys that are just fighting to stay on the McKenzie Tour that we're going to see here at the end of the month at Glendale. Those guys are literally hitting thousands and thousands of balls a day. Yes. And they're just, you know, and they're, 
shooting 69, 70, 71, and, but they got to get her down to 67. Yes. You know. And they're still in the top point zero 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 one percent of golfers and in the li- world. And as I said, yeah. And but it, again, so just think if you or I went out and hit, you know, a thousand balls a day. Every day. Every day. Someday, Kevin, when you're retired <laughs> living in the Bahamas. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can host Global TV Bahamas. I'll do Inside Sports Bahamas. Probably a lot of sprinting. I'm pretty sure Chorus has a line, a feed <laughs> yeah. down there that we can <laughs> hook up. Chorus could afford anything. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to, Kevin, here's what I'm going to do. The, the uh, what are their names here again? Nuno Matos and Alexander Alfonso. I'm going to leave our mics on. Okay. Just for fun in case you want to chime in. This, if you missed this yesterday, you're going to love it. And if you heard it yesterday, because I've already had some text saying, play it again. This is the goal call, Portugal, the overtime goal on Sunday in the final against France. I love the one, the guy at the end. Just the one more goal, just in case you missed it. <laughs> yeah, sounded like Bob when he was doing Golden Bears games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's incredible! Like I get tired listening to that. Well, it's just it's long. It's a good thing they score one goal every 120 minutes there, or whatever it was. Right? It was 120 or yeah, it was a 120 minute yeah. game. They got one goal, and every Portugal game went to overtime, except yeah. it was tied after 90, except for one game. When you when you hear that, it's just yeah, it's over the top. Yeah, again, I don't have a problem with it. Oh, no, I don't I'm have a problem fine. with it at all. I'm fine with it too. Yeah, it's just I I don't have to listen to it again though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play it every time you're on now. Okay, sure. That's gonna that's, that's gonna be your intro, intro music, okay. like a wrestler. Sounds we'll play, good. We'll just play that. Yeah. Uh, well, a huge win for Portugal. I mean, Kevin Jesus, mm-hmm. who works at your shop, has been updating us throughout throughout Euro. I just, I just, li- and here's the thing about that: if you're gonna do the goal celebration as a broadcast, you might as well commit to it, right? I haven't seen him either since that happened. You haven't seen Kevin no, Jesus? No, he's been off. He's, so he's still celebrating. He might have went to Portugal. He probably flew to Portugal to oh. give greet the yeah, team. He's not a bigger Portuguese soccer fan than. Than Jesus. No, and he knows every player, oh, every, every exactly. international result. And we give him the gears at work all the time. 
because let's face it, yeah. they've always blown it before well, this year. And just even with soccer, and I mean, I love soccer too, but there's myself and another guy, Darcy Craig, who's the producer on the 6 o'clock show that, you know, we'd say to Jesus about, you know, you know, after the soccer highlights, are we going to show the hide-and-seek highlights? Or, you know, <laughs> oh, and that just gets him going and stuff like that. So it's always good to get him uh, riled up a little <laughs> bit. Hide-and-seek highlights. <laughs> well, at least there's more action. Well, exactly. <laughs> Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Reed Wilkins with you. Kevin Carius from Global Television in studio with us. Okay, I I spent an hour on this yesterday, and I know Jesperson talked about it today, so I don't want to beat the dead horse too much, but it's still floating out there. Uh, the anthem last. I'm not even going to say the guy's name. Mm -hmm. Whatever, he's been basically kicked out of the the tenors. I just, how, what did he possibly think... It, it, to me, that was a no-win decision. It's not one of those things where it's like, you know what, he took a chance and it might have worked. <laughs> there was no way he was going to win. The, the thing that strikes me to be almost the funniest part of his decision is that the game being played at Petco Park in San Diego, probably, I'm, I'm guessing that the Canadian anthem played at Petco Park probably has never even been played there. Maybe once in, in, in 10 years, maybe the Jays played there. Yeah, interleague, yeah. There's no other time that that anthem would have been played there. So unless you're Canadian in the stands, which I'm, I'm sure Michael Saunders had his family there. Absolutely. So besides Saunders and the three Blue Jays who hear... tourists, yeah. The, yeah. the Blue Jays that hear the anthem there, it, you know, they hear the, the Canadian anthem, so Donaldson and Carnacion, they're probably not even listening to the anthem on a normal... You know, when they're because no one really is if you're a player, right? You're just standing around, you've got your hat on your chest. So, out of the 60,000 people there, only maybe the guy standing beside him in the band, or two of them, so maybe seven people total <laughs> knew that the lyrics were different in the stadium. Yeah. And the song never played in the States during the broadcast. That's right, it wasn't on Fox. So, it wasn't on Fox and it wasn't on Sportsnet because it was two different feeds. Right. So, your statement in the stadium was basically non-existent and then in the states no one heard it so the only thing that you did was you know get people riled in your own country that it made no sense you know it was a career killer yeah well that's the thing and that's what i said last night i mean this guy will i mean certainly after the thing the the rest of the group i guess i can't call them a band they're a group said it was this one guy he's not with us anymore but yeah who's gonna hire this guy to perform as a like yeah. he's just done it's a total career killer yeah it, it, curious uh again just a curious thing to even attempt and you know while i was talking about this last night i had a, a couple people say well, well why is this even an issue on a sports show and i said hold hold on here before the baseball game one thing but bigger issue with the anthem and i asked people this last night how often, even as a Canadian, do you hear the entire national anthem at something other than a sporting event? That's the whole thing. You never do. You never do. If somebody texted in and said, Remembrance Day in Canada Day. And even yeah. Remembrance Day, if you, I mean, I, that's not a day yeah. off for me, so no. I'm not following the ceremonies or anything. And you might not hear it even on Canada. You might not hear Depending it all on, in its yeah. entirety. And it's true. It's just sporting events. Yeah. I had a guy years, years ago say to me that he thought that the anthems shouldn't be played before sporting events. And one of the reasons why, he said, because it's become such a business, he said to me, he said, uh, 
they don't uh, play the anthem when they open West Edmonton Mall. You know, <laughs> at the very beginning, is everyone supposed to stand in? They go in and do their business, and you know, sports has become such a big business. That was his uh, kind of line of thought, but yeah. uh, you know, a little off base, no doubt. But you're I, right. You're right. It's the only time you hear the national anthem. It, it's an important tradition, and I and I know if if you really wanted to get into topics about the anthem besides what the guy did, which I think ninety nine point nine percent of people think was lunacy. I mean, sure, you could say, well, should the anthem be played of every player in the game? I, I mean, sometimes in the if certainly probably in the nineteen seventies, there would have been a hockey game played in the United States that didn't feature any American players, right? But but you're you're playing it for, for the fans for sure, yeah. And I mean, a lot of this, let's be honest, a lot of this happened in the states, and the bigger ones were in like '91 when Whitney Houston yep. sang, and and then in after 9/11 when everyone started singing "God Bless America" in the seventh inning stretch of all baseball games, massive, yeah, you know, so. Somebody, I was reading something yesterday where somebody said, just play the anthem at, at the Olympics and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, well, I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I get the argument, but, it, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's part of the, it's part of the pomp and circumstance <laughs> leading into a game. And yeah, I mean, fair enough, your buddy that said, it's you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a business, but I, I just, it's a tradition that I think we can't. Ima- now, imagine we can't imagine not have. Now, didn't they play the Canadian anthem once in the St. Louis series? Remember when St. Louis uh, was playing uh, San Jose and they wanted to be for Fort McMurray, yeah. right? But they just did it once, right? Yes. Okay, so that kind of stopped there because I'm sure everyone went, "Well, why are you playing the Canadian anthem?" Yeah. Well, hopefully some people were aware of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, that wasn't because of Fort McMurray, Reed. That was because they wanted because they had the most Canadians left. On their oh, team. you're right. Yes. Yeah, they wanted, okay, they I was thinking, be, but but they, uh, yeah, right. But yeah. they also they did some stuff for Upshaw, though. Sure, they did. Yeah, they had him on the jumbotron and stuff. But right. This was just but you're about right. Yes, can- I, they want to be time. Canada's team. You're right. They, yeah. I forgot about that whole yeah. Twitter campaign they yeah. had. Um, David M says, I wonder if Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer will sound like the Portuguese guys if the Oilers ever win the cup. Lyle says those guys need to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> How, what, what, how, did you call Bears games with Bob? Did you do color with him? I did uh, a lot of football with Bob. You did football yeah, with Bob? I did mostly football with Bob. And did he get a little out of control? Uh, he was always out of control. <laughs> but one time I remember uh, old Kenny Nichols, this is a true story, a quick one, but Bob and I, we had a game to do in Saskatoon against the Huskies, and uh, Ken Nichols flew us in his uh, four-seat plane. No way. Yeah, and we were, he goes, do you think any other uh, broadcast crews are taking a four-seater to do a game in the CIS Not right in now? the CIS. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's great. It's tough having Bob in that little confined airplane, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he couldn't get away from his stories. Eh? Oh, no, yeah. And I don't think they'd invented energy drinks yet at that time. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, that's a good point. It's 7.46. Kevin's going to stick around to the top of the hour. We'll uh, touch on a little British Open as well, which starts, well, tonight uh, in, in our time zone, obviously tomorrow over in the U.K. Inside Sports on Chet. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, thanks for joining us tonight. It's going to be cool in the next half hour of the show between 8 and 8.30. I'm, I'm really excited uh, to talk to this young lady, 20 years old, originally from Legal, Alberta. Don't call it legal, Kevin. Oh, yeah. 
Erin Young is her name. She's going to the Paralympics for the Canadian wheelchair basketball team, the women's team. And she, I did not know you could do this, so we'll get into this with her as well. She got a scholarship to play wheelchair basketball at the University of Alabama. Really? So I talked to her a bit. I'm looking forward to the, to the full interview here. Just an incredibly energetic uh, young woman, so that'll be great. Plus, we might just have a story tip for Global. There you go. I got her number. <laughs> uh, Toronto leading Ottawa in the CFL 2017. That game is uh, early in the fourth quarter. Your scoreboard is courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. Eskimos and Blue Bombers tomorrow. No inside sports. we got a live game for you, 5 o'clock pregame. They'll kick it off at 6.30. Kirk has texted in, Kevin. He says, hey, guys. Why are so many high-profile athletes not going to Rio? It's only the high-profile guys who make millions that aren't going, right? Are there any actual Olympic-type people not going? I think he means more the yeah the circuit, the World Cup circuit stuff. People And Kirk says, also, is it just the men who will not go? Well, let's face it, it's, it's male golfers that aren't going. This time around, yeah, for sure it's male golfers. Um, I, I had a... You know what? The Zika virus is a big thing, let's be honest, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you want to use that, that you don't want to go, I have no problem with that. I didn't like the way um, the other day, I think it would have been, I guess, yesterday morning. So Rory McIlroy went on and talked about the fact that he didn't think he had to grow the game of golf. I, I thought that was quite disrespectful to any sport. And I, I don't know why he would say something like that. It didn't make any sense to me. I mean... If you look, just to use golf in particular, okay, so Arnold Palmer came along, grew the game of golf. Mm-hmm. Television ratings came along. Television, Well, television started, you know, live broadcasts of golf with Arnold Palmer. You can go through Jack Nicklaus, Tom Watts, and all these guys right through to Tiger Woods. Those guys all grew the game of golf. I mean, when Tiger started playing, ratings went so high, mm-hmm. purses doubled. Well, everything big happened. Big time. You know, so... Rory McIlroy is whatever five years old watching Tiger Woods and he's going I want to be like that I you know so I had a problem with that you know the reason that Rory got to the position he is signing a you know whatever hundred million dollar deal with Nike is because the game of golf grew because of guys that were back in whatever 50 60 70 80 all the way to 2000s now what so. if now what if he would have said I don't think having the golf that having golf in the Olympics will help grow the game of golf. I don't mind that comment. Yeah. That's fine. In fact, I don't think any professional should be in any Olympic sports. I don't think hockey should be in the Olympics. As I just told you off the air, for 10 years I've said for hockey that the World Junior Championship should be played that year in an Olympic year. What a fantastic uh, opportunity for you know 18, 19, 20-year-olds to play in Olympic Games and try to win an Olympic gold medal. You know, see that that's a very interesting theory. I like, obviously, I like the best on best competition. Who wouldn't? I grew up watching Canada Cups mm-hmm. that were in late August and early September that were fun to watch. So I, I, I certainly like seeing Crosby in the Olympics with Perry and Getzlaff as teammates and Price but, and Net. But, but I also remember. The, the teams in 92 and 94 that were pre-pros, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, how's Lindros going to do with these guys? And and Brian, I, I always remember Brian Savage. Like, who the heck's Brian <laughs> Savage? He was one of their best players. So you got to know some up-and-coming Canadian guys that way, too. But you can have that with World Cup best-on-best best right now. So still yeah. have that, you know, at that point. 
Again, the whole thing is money, and it, I don't think the IOC can have it both ways and say, we want best on best, but we're not going to allow any sponsorship, etc., that the NHL can yeah. bring in and should be compensated, just like, for instance, again, so Rory McIlroy goes over to play in Brazil. He's not wearing Nike. Um, Jordan Spieth isn't wearing his Under Armour hat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. You know, and that's why. So the the Olympic Committee can't have both the best of what they want, the best in the world, plus all the best in the world's sponsors, etc., where they want to have that money factor. Yeah, well, that's a great point. About I mean, look, we're not breaking any ground here with new ground with the hypocrisy of the <laughs> National yeah. Olympic Committee. But yeah, you're right. They like it's. I, I just look at them I'm like, why are you trying to maintain this ruse of purity? Everybody knows. <laughs> the other the other aspect, and I, I'm not passing on any blame here, and I'm not insinuating anything, but the the golf, like the, the USGA and the Royal and Ancient, and all that, there's several golf governing bodies. They don't have drug testing, per se, that is even remotely close to what the IOC is. Um, there could be players that are on the PGA Tour right now that might maybe possibly test positive for something that isn't hurting them in their own sport right now in their governing body, but now when it goes to the IOC and the Olympic stage, it could be a possibility, like HGH, etc., things like that. Who knows? Uh, tie game now, Ottawa and Toronto 2020. Barhead Bill texting in. He says, name one prominent female athlete who has ever said no to the Olympics. It's always men. It's always pros. Their livelihood is not dependent on the Olympics. Could, couldn't have said it truer. All right. We've got a couple minutes left here, uh, Kevin. Well, we're going to talk about the British Open. It starts yeah. later tonight. It's always an unpredictable tour. There's always, here's the thing. There's always some guy who plays on the European <laughs> tour who you didn't realize was actually as good as he is. So if you're doing a draft, a late Mid, late, last minute like, DraftKings. Like Francisco Molinari. Yeah, find some guy on the European PGA that's that's doing really well. Uh, Eskimos uh, tomorrow. G- give me a couple of the. G- give me a concern and a. Well, and what do you think? Slow happens? starts again. Slow starts. Slow starts. That, yeah. And and also, I mean, the defense again. I think Winnipeg's starting to come on a little bit offensively. Andrew Harris has owned the Eskimos since he came into the league over 100 yards a, a game minimum. This texture says, Wilkie Paldi, I read on the weekend that if the Oilers were to trade for Tyson Berry and sign him for what he wants, then sign Dreisaitl, there won't be enough room to sign McDavid to a contract. You know what? They're going to find the money for McDavid, <laughs> and I don't think Barry's coming here, at least not this no, summer. So I guess sometimes with the rumors, guys, let's just Mc, take a step McDavid back. McDavid will get his yeah. max contract, whatever it is. So. They're going to make that work. Kevin, thanks for hey, coming. Riddle, we'll do thanks. this again. We'll see you next Wednesday. And what time are you on tonight? Uh, we'll be on at 11. We've got a jam-packed show of sports at 11.20. Right on. That is Kevin Carius from Global Television. I am Reed Wilkins from 6.30. Chad, this is Inside Sports. Yes, Aaron Young, small-town Alberta girl, going to the Paralympics in wheelchair basketball. That's when we get back. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. 
We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs> 